The scripture lesson for this evening's sermon will be from Luke chapter 6. I'll be reading verse 20 through 26. This is from the Common English Bible. Jesus raised his eyes to his disciples and said, Happy are you who are poor because God's kingdom is yours. Happy are you who hunger now because you will be satisfied. Happy are you who weep now because you will laugh. Happy are you when people hate you, reject you, insult you, and condemn your name as evil because of the human one. Rejoice when that happens. Leap for joy because you have a great reward in heaven. Their ancestors did the same things to the prophets. But how terrible for you who are rich because you have already received your comfort. How terrible for you who have plenty now because you will be hungry. How terrible for you who laugh now because you will mourn and weep. How terrible for you when all speak well of you. Their ancestors did the same things to the false prophets. Here ends these, these words. May God grant us wisdom and courage for interpretation. I must have been about seven years old one year when my family took a vacation to the mountains in New Mexico. We were staying in a hotel near Santa Fe, New Mexico, and it was morning. So I quickly dashed through the shower in order to satisfy the bare minimum requirements of my mother's hygienic expectations of me. I threw on some clothes. I informed everyone that I was going outside to play and to explore the grounds. After I acknowledged the usual, well, be safe then, from my dad, I made my escape out our hotel room door knowing that it would be well over an hour before my parents had bathed my then two-year-old sister, showered, brushed their teeth, and most time-consuming of all, until my mother had completed her daily ritual of heating up and torquing down a, a Conair hot air roller every one to two inches over the entire scalp of her head before teasing her hair to attention with her rat tail, rat tail comb and then at long last cementing it into perfection with one 30-second continuous burst of aerosol hairspray. We were Texans, and it was the early 1980s, and as they say in Texas at that time, the higher the hair, the closer to God. So, knowing that Mom's transformation ceremony would take a while, I surveyed the parking lot of the hotel, and I quickly realized that there was a neighboring vacant lot that had a certain allure to my seven-year-old imagination and my eyes strolled that way and so I took my feet with them and I went past where the pavement ended onto the dirt and grass and I walked just a little ways into this thicket of trees and all over the ground there were rather large dark colored rocks that didn't look anything like the white limestone rocks I was accustomed to seeing in Central Texas where I was raised and I don't remember quite how I got the idea to throw the first rock onto the ground and break it open but somehow I discovered it at least at this location that almost every one of these particular looking rocks had some kind of really cool interior once I broke them open some had quartz inside some had what was called fool's gold or pyrite inside that brassy yellow mineral that sometimes you know 
called fool's gold. I was no rock expert, but my seven-year-old mind quickly grasped that these rocks could be appreciated in a source of profit. And so I broke open as many as I could, slamming them onto one another in similar fashion to how I'd seen, you know, uh, uh, done a time or two before, and then setting up kind of like some kids in my neighborhood had done with lemonade stands, except I set up a rocks for sale stand near the edge of the parking lot. And by the time the rest of my family were done with their morning hygiene rituals, I had collected $21 and some change for my troubles. My parents were generous enough to let me keep the money, but later when we talked about it, they they raised some important questions that my young mind had not yet considered. Most important of all that has stuck with me all of these years was, well, David, who did these rocks you were selling actually belong to? Well, they didn't try to pin me down to a final answer. I think they saw the puzzled look on my face or, or, or maybe... You know, uh, you know, they made a few suggestions. Did, did these rocks belong to the person who owned the property? Or did they belong to the owner of the hotel? Or whose rocks were they? And that was just something to keep in mind the next time I decided to turn God's resources into a profit stand. It occurred to me these rocks really weren't mine to sell. Now, Jesus' teaching that we read a moment ago from Luke's Gospel is what is known as Jesus' Sermon on the Plain. It kind of sounds like the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew's Gospel, if you've ever paid much attention to those words elsewhere. But here in this Sermon on the Plain, Jesus makes it pretty clear that people have always had the tendency to take what doesn't really belong to them in an attempt to profit from it in some way. Now, unfortunately, with much more crucial, vital things than just a few rocks, now, according to this sermon by Jesus, people take money that is not really theirs. People take happiness that is not really theirs to take. People take food that is not really theirs to take. And they take love, which is not really theirs to take at all. And people take these things and they try to use all of these things not to benefit someone else, but to benefit themselves for their own selfish purposes, which means someone else is going without. Now, if this is sounding a little vague, let me spell it out for you. You don't have to be a bank robber to participate in stealing someone else's money. And you don't have to have a sign painted on your car that says, Fun Police, in order to steal someone else's happiness. And you don't have to literally grab food from another person's pantry in order to take it right out of their mouths in the end. And you don't have to actually run off with someone else's significant other in order to steal their love. These are just symbolic things of one overarching central concern for Jesus. The heart of the matter here is that Jesus believed that in this world, not some other world or some other place in time or some other afterlife, but in this world, each person's dignity and worth should be celebrated equally and fairly and in a sacred way. He proclaimed here in this sermon that we, that we read it, and we also see it in many of his other teachings, that those in power, those who set the norms, do not get the final word. Those who are in the dominant culture, whatever that is, in any given society, in God's world, they don't get the final word. They don't get to choose the pecking order. They don't get to decide who, who gets the rocks. It's someone else that gets to decide that in God's order. 
And we're going to talk about who that is. God already named the order when He created us and said that all of humanity in each part of creation was very, very good. And I think we need to remind ourselves on a night like this that a person's bank account has no bearing on their worth, that a person's current state of mind has no bearing on their worth. Even how a person is treated by the wider society is ultimately, it has no bearing, even though it may feel like it, but it has no bearing in God's eyes upon an individual's sacred worth. A person's sexuality, gender, or gender expression has no bearing upon their worth. None are any higher than any other expression. Each and every person at the heart of our Christian tradition is made in the image of God and has an irreplaceable, unmistakable, always present, shining, beautiful portion of human dignity that can never be taken away no matter how poorly they may be treated or how much the dominant groups, let's just be plain, in Oklahoma, no matter how much straight, white, rich people ignore it. When Jesus said, happy are you who are poor, happy are you who are hungry uh, now, happy are you when people hate you, he wasn't suggesting that we should get excited about being mistreated. He was suggesting that each person's dignity, who they are at the deepest, most profound levels, can never be diminished. They can never be taken away in God's economy, no matter how hard society may try. And so even in terrible times, people of faith can be happy knowing that that part of themselves created in the image of the divine can never be diminished. In reality, even when on earth it may feel like it, God loves each and every one of us. No ifs, ands, buts, exceptions, no matter what. The same. It's not pie. There's plenty of love to go around. But Jesus didn't stop there by pointing out the indestructible, unstealable nature of each person's inherent worth and dignity. He went further. He shared God's vision for making it right. It's a word that's been robbed and been made out to mean something different than what Jesus meant. It's that word, heaven. This word heaven, you see, uh, for Jesus was not some type of afterlife. He was talking about a way of living in this world, a vision for this world, this place. Heaven here in this Sermon on the Plain is a vision for what the world would look like if we all lived into God's dream for the world. What does heaven look like? Well, it's complicated. But to build on my rocks for sale story... When we begin to live into that vision called heaven, we stop taking each other's rocks. We stop pretending they belong to us, and we stop selling them for profit. So in Jesus' vision of heaven on earth, each person is celebrated for who they are, and they are cherished, honored, esteemed, and loved, and done so equally. Now this is a particularly important teaching of Jesus when it comes to celebrating Pride Month. June is Pride Month. Where the incredible human beings, our LGBTQ plus beloveds, are honored and celebrated not only for the incredible gifts that they offer the world, but for the incredible gifts that they offer our church and the church. And we celebrate the inherent sacred worth and the image of God within our LGBTQ plus companions and friends. And because of the terrible treatment given these beloved friends in the past years, it is especially important for us to celebrate loudly and proudly and to say very clearly that God makes no mistakes. 
that my dear beloveds, LGBTQ friends, you are precious in God's sight and God loves you exactly the way that you are. And Jesus went even further than this. You, didn't, you may not have been paying attention. In the Sermon on the Plain, he went further than, than celebrating the love of all equally. He gave the keys. Are you listening? He gave, you may have missed this, he gave the keys of heaven to LGBTQ plus companions and friends. Did you miss that? Oh, sure, Jesus gave them away to anyone, not in the dominant religious insider culture, but this includes LGBTQ persons. My dear lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and questioning friends, heaven belongs to you. You have the keys to heaven. Not just someday. Jesus gave them to you. Not in spite of who you are or who you love, but because of who you are. Because of your identity. Because of your love. Because of the fullest expression of yourself. You are sacred and you are holy. And friends, heaven is counting on you because you have been given the keys. What? I missed that. Well... I thought you might. Let me back up here in a moment. God's vision for the world won't happen overnight. Uh, and there's work to be done and all, and all the rest. But uh, did you see what Jesus was doing in this teaching? He said, oh, you've heard it said that you know, the ones with the power, they win. The, the, the rich, they have everything they want. No, it's the ones who have nothing. It's the ones who've been hated. It's the ones who've been mistreated. They have the keys. To you belong the kingdom of heaven. It's yours. And we celebrate that with you on this day. These proclamations, happy are you, they are the laws of nature, not in this world, but in the world as it should be. God's alternative universe, known as heaven. And each and every part of creation has received an invitation to live in this heaven. But we don't enter this alternate universe, this more real than reality vision on accident. It happens when we make intentional choices to make this look more like heaven. The kind of heaven Jesus dreamed of and even died for. Jesus not only would have supported LGBTQ Pride Month, he would have celebrated it wildly. He would have marched in the pride parade, lifted high the rainbow flag, gone to the picnic, performed in the lip sync with the drag queens. He probably would have forgotten altogether about the committee meeting that night at church, so I suppose he could have rescheduled. He would protest to protect the rights and the freedoms of LGBTQ persons. He would provide the wine at the wedding. He would perform the ceremony, and oh yeah, he'd have baked the cake. Jesus would do all this and more to show his unconditional love for God's LGBTQ plus children. And if Jesus were here, he would be keenly aware of the incredible heartache and the shattered lives that LGBTQ children of God have experienced as they have suffered rejection at the hands of their own parents, at the hands of their own pastors, at the hands of their own friends, simply for trying to be who they are and love who they long to love. How would Jesus celebrate pride? He'd celebrate it early, often, loudly, clearly. And you know what's more? He would look right at the arrogant, fundamentalist, religious crowd squarely in the eyes, and he would say all these last three verses, Woe unto you! Woe unto you who dehumanizes or diminishes the full and complete humanity of another human being, including their sexuality, their gender expression or orientation 
Now this woe unto you, like I read it a moment ago in the Common English Bible, I kind of like how it says it. How terrible for you. How terrible for you. It's the flip side of these beautiful promises that we cling to from the early parts of the verse. But it's pretty scary if you really want to look closely at it, for some of us. It's a series of stern warnings. And it is Jesus in disgust because he knows and anticipates what greed will look like. He knows and he anticipates what hatred will look like. He knows all too well personally what it feels like. And he was actually pretty plain about things. In case you missed it, let me read these three verses again. How terrible for you who are rich because you have already received your comfort. How terrible for you who have plenty now, because you will be hungry. How terrible for you who laugh now, because you will mourn and weep. How terrible for you, when all speak well of you, their ancestors did the same things to the false prophets. Now during Pride Month, I believe Jesus would have said something like this. This would be the Wheeler, nearly inspired version. How terrible for you who sit safely and silently within the norms of your society as straight, white, mostly middle-class, comfortable people, for you've already received your comfort in full. How terrible for you who have everything you basically want but do nothing to lift up the dignity and work for the equality of those on the margins because of their sexuality or their gender expression or the color of their skin. How terrible for you when everyone in your comfortable circle of friends all speak well of you because when they speak well of you, you can bet you're doing nothing for those who need to be celebrated and uplifted the very most. Where are the true prophets? Where are the ones to speak up for those who are already on the outside looking in? By your refusal to stand up for others, you have fallen down on the only job I left you here to do. How terrible if that is you. Now, if you're listening to this today and, and you've been thinking, well, I mean, isn't God's vision of heaven, I mean, big enough for us all? Well, of course. And so why are we just celebrating, you know... LGBTQ plus persons today. If you're wondering that, you're missing the point. The kingdom of heaven belongs to us all, but was uniquely positioned by Jesus to be the most accessible and nearest to those who need it the most at any given point in history. And unfortunately, the treatment of LGBTQ plus persons has become the single greatest litmus test for churches in our lifetime that determine a church's love level. Their ability to truly love. And unfortunately, LGBTQ plus persons have been thrown into the middle of this. And so while straight Christians have been busy debating the worthiness and the dignity of LGBTQ plus persons, our beloved LGBTQ plus friends have been busy loving and living and persisting despite the horrific blindness and even hatred of so many self-professing Christians. And so, yes, we as a church are using this entire day to celebrate our beloved LGBTQ plus friends and neighbors because it's exactly what Jesus would do. In fact... He already gave LGBTQ plus persons a lot more than a single day in worship service. In case you missed it, he gave them heaven. Heaven belongs to you, my friends. And it is perhaps one of the greatest privileges of my life to stand here as a minister in this pulpit and point to what I believe with all of my heart Jesus would do and say. And so I say to all of our 
beloved LGBTQ friends, on behalf of the church, this church, on behalf of Jesus, on behalf of God, you are a person of invaluable, immeasurable, sacred worth. And you're that way not because I'm telling you and not because in order for your worth to be legitimate, you need a middle-aged, balding, straight, white preacher to tell you. But you're already incredible because God made you that way already just as you are. And I'm just pointing out the obvious like I do most weeks. And this, my friends, is the proclamation. Heaven belongs to you. Jesus gave it to you. The rest of us, we just get to live in it with you. And this church family is where some of us practice God's alternate vision for the world. A vision for love. A vision for equality. A vision for a level playing field. And so if you'll let me, I'll proudly stand in front of you and that special someone that day when you decide to get married and I'll help you cry your way through your vows for the first time or, or for that 50th renewal. And if you'll let us, we'll be your church family and you can be yourself here. In all of your amazingness, I mean, Jesus already gave you heaven, but I mean, if you need more, you can serve as a leader in this church. You can work with the children of this church or with the pastor who sometimes acts like a child at this church. Or if you're crazy enough to work with teenagers, you can do that. You can serve on the church board. You can work for social justice on our church ministry teams and help us make more room at the table and help us bring more of heaven to earth. There are no limits. There are no restrictions. There are no hidden clauses. There are no contracts except for love. Unbridled, unconditional love is our currency here. And this church belongs to you if you want it. Every single part of it. And one day, when I'm dead, gone, fired, or quit, you can be the pastor. Every single part of this church belongs to you. And my dear beloveds, Jesus gave the keys to you. Heaven belongs to you. And I couldn't be any happier about getting the one to stand here and make sure you know this on Pride Sunday. So in the name of the one who created the rainbow and said, it is good.